Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. Today, I'm talking with uber-talented Tony and Grammy Award winner Billy Porter about his new album titled, Billy Porter Presents the Soul of Richard Rodgers. The album features new, soulful takes on classic Richard Rodgers songs from Broadway musicals including Oklahoma, The Sound of Music, Babes in Arms, South Pacific, and The King and I. So sit back as I chat with Billy about the inspiration for the album, as well as a whole lot of other topics. That's today on this episode of The Randy Report. When people first thought up the phrase, a force of nature, surely they had Billy Porter in mind. Billy is the very picture of a passionate Renaissance man, an actor, recording artist, director, playwright, and activist. Billy leaves his creative mark on every project he touches. Originally from Pittsburgh, PA, he attended the seriously tough theater program at Carnegie Mellon University. And then it was straight to New York City, where Billy quickly found himself in a succession of Broadway and off-Broadway hits, like Miss Saigon, Five Guys Named Mo, Grease, and Smokey Joe's Cafe. He won the Tony Award, as well as the Grammy, Drama Desk, and Outer Critics Circle Awards for his groundbreaking performance of Lola in Kinky Boots. That was followed by joining the all-star lineup for Shuffle Along. Other theater credits include Dreamgirls, The Merchant of Venice, Songs for New World, and Angels in America. His one-man show, Ghetto Superstar, The Man That I Am, debuted at the Public Theater in New York City in conjunction with City Theater Pittsburgh and was nominated for a 2005 GLAAD Media Award. As a director, his credits include Top Dog Underdog and The Colored Museum, both for the Huntington Theater Company, a new rethinking of The Wiz in Pittsburgh. In 2007, Billy conceived and directed Being Alive, in which he reinterpreted the music of Stephen Sondheim at both the Westport Country Playhouse and the Philadelphia Theatre Company. He also won the NAACP Theatre Award for Best Direction of a Musical for his production of Once on This Island at the Reprise Theatre Company in Los Angeles. Film and television credits include Barry Levinson's The Humbling, opposite Al Pacino, Sundance Film Festival features The Broken Hearts Club and Intern, Noel with Susan Sarandon and Robin Williams, Shake, Rattle, and Roll as Little Richard for CBS, and a host of television appearances which include Another World, Twisted, Law & Order, Law & Order SVU, The Big C, The Oprah Winfrey Show, The Tonight Show, and many more. Additionally, in 2014, Primary Stages presented the highly successful world premiere of his play, while I Yet Live at the Duke Theater. Billy Porter Presents the Soul of Richard Rogers marks Billy's fourth studio album and his first as producer and content curator. On the album, Billy performs the songs as solos or duets with a roster of artists including Tony and Grammy Award winners Cynthia Erivo from The Color Purple, Renee Elise Goldsberry and Leslie Odom Jr. and Christopher Jackson from Hamilton, Tony Award winner Patina Miller from Pippin, Grammy Award winners Pentatonix and NDRE, plus Tony Award nominees Brandon Victor Dixon and Joshua Henry, and fellow Kinky Boots star Todrick Hall. 
along with multiple Grammy Award nominees Deborah Cox and Lettucey. Speaking about the project, Billy said, I like to think of this as the Richard Rodgers version of the Hamilton mixtapes. These are classic songs that everybody knows and loves, and I'm so excited for people to hear them in a brand new way. When material is classic, it can be reinterpreted until the end of time. That's the Shakespeare way. We're constantly reinterpreting these stories because they're human stories and the human condition is always evolving. But the more things change, the more things stay the same. To be reminded of that allows us to continue to move forward. Let's take a listen to one of the tracks from The Soul of Richard Rogers, and then we'll talk with the fabulous Billy Porter. This is just a bit of Lady is a Tramp. Porter, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm awesome. Thanks for having time to chat. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. So the last time I interviewed you was in 2012. And since then, you have won just about every award available, including the Tony and the Drama Desk and the Grammy for your fabulousness in Kinky Boots. You went on to yeah. join the all-star lineup in Shuffle Along. You dropped your own solo album, Billy's Back on Broadway. You had your own PBS special for that album. You had your play <laughs> While I Yet Live produced off-Broadway. And you got married, Sadie, Sadie, married lady. So, <laughs> Yes, I did. How are you, busy man? <laughs> uh, I'm good. You know, I'm just trying to do what it do. It's, you know, the business is, it's hard to explain because it's like you have to kind of always have several things going and then walk through the doors that open, you know, because if you rely on one thing, when that runs out, you ain't, you ain't got nothing. <laughs> so I learned that early. And so I, I practice that. <laughs> I want to focus mainly on you have this Fab and snazzy new album titled Not Just the Soul of Richard Rogers. It is Billy Porter Presents the Soul of Richard Rogers. And it's awesome. I love reinvention. I love exploring things and finding the new. And 
I remember some years ago you working on a stage production of Stephen Sondheim's songs viewed through an R&B yes. soul gospel prism. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to singing on the album, you're producing and acting as content curator, which I love, by the way. What sparked <laughs> this project? Well, you just said about the Sondheim project, that was sort of the initial spark because the producer of that project, Susie Dietz, ran a theater in Los Angeles called Reprise, which is sort of the Los Angeles equivalent to Encores, where they take a look at older productions that aren't necessarily done very often, revival, you know, reviving them, taking apart the material, putting it back together. So they were doing a reprise in LA was doing an evening. Uh, they were doing a season of Richard Rogers and to launch the season, they were doing little uh, small pilot like concerts all around LA. And she, because we had worked on the soul of Sondheim, essentially, she wanted me to do the same treatment with Richard Rogers music. And so it was a concert first in Los Angeles in 2009. Ah, I remember that now. Yes. And so then when, when her husband, Lenny Beer, who is a big mucky muck in the music business, got a deal for himself and his management firm and everything to start his own label, he signed me, and this was the idea to turn this into a record. So that's sort of how it... I think it's awesome. I've been listening to the thing on repeat since I got it. And you're joined by, <laughs> by some, you know, talented kind of folks on this thing. It's, it's not... You, you share the <laughs> album... With, with people like Tony Award winners Cynthia Erivo and, and Leslie Odom Jr., who, by the way, small connection, I worked with Leslie Odom Jr. at the Reprise series in L.A. like yes. 10 years ago doing applause with Shirley yes. Ralph. Anyway, just a small connection. Yes. I adore him. <laughs> yes. But also Patina Miller and Pentatonics and Indy Ari and Deborah Cox. These are Renee some... Goldberry, oh, yes. Lettucey. Lettucey, who Hall. I love. And I, I'm a big uh, Christopher Jackson fan, too. Yeah. Yeah, Chris Jackson. There's um, Brandon Victor Dixon and Josh Henry as well. Todrick Hall, who is um, YouTube sensation Todrick Hall. So, yeah, there have been a lot. There's a lot of folks on this record. Uh-huh. And what do you do? Just pick up the phone? I mean, it's terrific. Uh, yeah, essentially. <laughs> I, essentially, I picked up the phone. Yes. And I called and... Most people answered. Some some folks answered. Some folks didn't. But it's it's. I, I I'm so proud of this record because sonically it sounds like everything and all the things that I am and have ever wanted to be. And so I'm very proud of that accomplishment. I'm proud that an album of Richard Rogers music can be number two on the iTunes R&B chart. You know, it can be number one on the Amazon soul music chart because this is a this is a style of music that has very little voice in the Broadway community. Sometimes, yes, but it has very little voice and it's exactly what I am. So I'm trying to give it voice. I'm trying to give this sound, the R&B sound, the soul music sound, the gospel music sound, a place. Hamilton cracked it open with hip-hop. Hip-hop just happens to be the most popular, you know, one of the most popular genres. You know, now theater people are listening in a different way than they did before. Absolutely. Because they can't negate the power of the storytelling inside of this kind of music. It's always been storytelling. It's just not necessarily stories that they wanted to hear. 
Right. There's a difference right. between the music doesn't tell stories and this is a story I, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with, you see. So that's where I'm headed, you know, in a grander scheme and a larger scheme. That's where I'm headed as hopefully a thought leader, as hopefully a director, a writer, a creator. Hopefully I can be a voice for that. Well, I'm curious in taking this, because you talk about the storytelling, and obviously Richard Rodgers' songs are, are so rich and deep, and, and you can just look at them and, and see all of the colors there. And when you were exploring the material, was there a surprise or revelation or in, in working on one of the songs that you were singing or with one of the artists, did you go, oh, I hadn't seen that before, or oh, I want to bring out this this thread, this this color in this song. Yeah, I feel like they all are that way. You know, I feel like when you're dealing with the classic to the contemporary, and that's something that I that I speak about all the time. You know, I learned my craft as an artist. I had angels in my corner who taught me the importance of that, so that when you know the rules, then you can break them, and you can break them consistently with knowledge you know it's not just by happenstance because right. i don't know what i'm doing i stumble onto something genius which is fine and that happens and that that can happen but i also as an artist love to be inside of the craft of it and know exactly why i'm doing what i'm doing so yes all of the songs have that kind of resonance yes because I, my ear in particular but most contemporary ears have a certain thing that they like, younger ears. So when they feel the beat, when they feel the backbeat, when they feel the chord structure sort of widen, deepen, you know, become, you, when, they, when, they, when they hear that 808 or they hear those rhythms that they're hearing Beyonce do or they're hearing, you know, Rihanna do or they're hearing, I don't know, John Legend or, you know, Erica Badu or, you know, Jill Scott or whatever, you know, Donny Hathaway, wherever all of these things for me, all of these influences that, have, that are on this record, they're very specific and they come from our culture. And, and the idea that someone like Richard Rogers can have an effect on a person like me is the point. You know, art transcends culture. Art transcends the limitations that we as humans put on everything. It doesn't have to have a limit. You know, the fact that Carefully Taught was written in the 40s and you turn it on and it sounds like India, I rewrote it yesterday. It does. And, you know, that was what I was going to bring up next, because specifically, one of the things I love about you, and I always have, in all these years we've known each other, is you are famous for speaking frankly. I love that you're open authenticity. And one of the things about this album that immediately hit me when I looked at the songs and I listened to it was a lot of the songs of Richard Rogers made social statements about the times they were in which they were written. And you have, yeah. you have to be carefully taught on here, which is one of my favorites with, with both of you on that track.
For a lot of people, it's a sweet little song in Sound of Music, but when you released it, you released it on President Trump's inauguration day with the message, the Edelweiss flower blooms in the cold and snow and reminds us that we can and must flourish in the darkest of times. Bless our homeland. I have always loved the power of that song, and you really mine the gold here. Did you think about the social statements or the the kind of, of message? It's on purpose. It's on purpose. It's all on purpose. <laughs> That's what I mean by craft. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. Nothing that I do is an accident. Nothing that I do is arbitrary. It's completely and totally on purpose. And Edelweiss was originally in the show, you know, originally in that original concert, but after the election, and we were still working on it, the whole everything changed. Carefully Top wasn't even on the record before the election. Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair was exactly what it was like in the show. Fun and frivolous. And then after the election, it took on a different, it took on a different tone. You know, it's like, I think we as artists have the capacity and the power to reach across the aisle in ways that our politicians don't want to do. Oh, I agree. In this day and age. Absolutely. They can't, nor do they want to. You know, I just came from Fort Wayne, Indiana. I just came from the heart of Florida and, and four different, three, three different cities, uh, Indiana, uh, Columbus, Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Indiana. You know, speaking to these people and singing these songs in front of all these Trump supporters. You know, and the one thing that I say is I don't come here as a Democrat or a Republican. I don't come here as a conservative or uh, a lib- I come here as a human being who's trying to have a conversation with y'all because clearly nobody was talking to me, and that's a shame. And how do you find audiences take that in? How is that message received? How do you feel in the give and take on stage? You're in a, the middle of a 20-city tour, I should mention, by the way, <laughs> keeping you busy. It feels like they're receiving it. People are coming up to me with tears in their eyes afterwards. You know, people are saying thank you. People are, you know, the ones who can receive it. You know, but those are the only people I'm interested in talking to are the rational people who are interested in understanding the middle. Thank you for that, by the way. I have to tell you, that is my biggest pet peeve. You know, I'm I'm heavily involved in in politics. It's it's a big thing for yeah. me with the Randy Report. And me too. My biggest issue with politics today isn't that people have an opinion that I disagree with, but when people are so oblique, they are so polarized, they are so black or white, no shades of gray, that they can't find middle ground, then we just have no conversation at all, and nothing moves forward. It bothers me. Y'all put that bozo in the, into the office mm-hmm. because he's a Republican, and that's it. Right. He has no skill set. <laughs> Democrats, I, I would never Treats. do that. Mm-mm. No. I would do it with a, with a Democrat. I voted for Republicans who were better than my, Democratic, than my Democratic Party on several occasions in my life. I'm not that guy. If you're bullshit, you're bullshit. You, whatever party you're in. And he is bullshit. And for those of you who held your nose and voted for the man who likes to grab women by the pussy and brag about it, now you have him on the trigger 
on the red, at the red phone. And now we're getting ready to go into World War III because he likes to instigate and pull his dick out. And it's not even me as a Democrat going, we shouldn't go to war. That's not what I'm saying either. I can look at the foreign policy and go, yeah, we should actually have some sort of response to this. What I don't like is having a response and then gloating and bragging about it. You're getting ready to put people at war, and you just want to brag about how many fucking bombs you can drop. I'm not saying that you shouldn't drop the bomb. (laughs) I'm not saying that you shouldn't drop the bomb. Let's get that straight right now. I'm not saying that the bomb shouldn't be dropped. When I hear what's going on and you present me with the facts and you don't just try to uh, just try to blindside everybody, I'm interested in hearing the facts because that's what a democracy is supposed to be. You're supposed to go to the Congress and say, okay, this is what's going on. We need to flex in a certain way. I'll listen and hear it and go, okay, well, do we have to do it though the way we're doing it, which is just about grandstanding? You know, you talk about immigration, it's like Obama is known to be the deportation president. He just wasn't bragging about it. Right. It was getting done. You know, he wasn't – he was trying to get immigration reform done. He was – and it might not be – it might not have been as aggressive as some people wanted it to be, but it's not like he wasn't doing anything. And he's just sitting here letting people – you know know what I mean? It's like the branding – Right. The brilliant branding of the Republican Party, that's what they do brilliantly. You got a whole swath of the country who doesn't even know that <laughs> Obamacare is the same shit that they have. Oh, yeah. Did you? Absolutely. You see the polls there. I think I saw a poll that said 25 percent of Americans didn't know that Obamacare and the Affordable Care Act were the same thing. Are the same thing. They don't know that, but they hate it anyway. So it, it, that's brilliant. That's what's brilliant about the Republican Party is that they can turn anything that's good Anything that has anything good, as long as it comes from the Democrats or the black man, they can brand it as something that's bad to white racists. And now we can have that conversation. We can stoke that. You stoked it. You started it. When we've been trying to sort of deal with it in in a graceful way, we've really been trying to deal with it in a graceful way, but now you've stoked it. So now we're here. And now we all have to deal with this. So I hope you're all happy. Yeah, I hope you're all happy. Because you're, because because your poor white children will be the ones on the front lines. The black ones, the white ones, the Indians, the black whoever it is who you thought he was going to help. And you know who knows? We might be getting in the war because he needs coal for the war. Maybe that's how he's going to get coal jobs back to the middle <laughs> of the country. I don't know. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh. When steel left, the whole city worked together to find something else to do. And that's what I don't understand about other folks. You know, you can figure that out in Pittsburgh in the steel industry, but why can't, you know, all these folks, and I don't I don't wish the coal industry any ill will, except there is the fact no, that, that life is moving forward, technology is moving forward, and if those jobs are gone, yeah. let's learn something new. Let, let's get involved in solar, because that's free and clean. But your party does not believe in it. No, because they make money at it. The party that you vote for doesn't believe in renewable energy, so they're not actually trying to help you get a new job because their bank accounts are lined if they get coal. Bank accounts are not lined for renewable energy. So while you have voted, so I I don't know what to say, (laughs) you know, because it's not rational (laughs) at a certain point. 
You know, I was going to ask if your show has any political message or sensibility, but I just think we answered that. <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, it always has. And I say, you know, I grew up in the 80s. I came out as a black gay man in 1985 and went straight to the front lines to fight for my life and everybody's around me. I will never, ever be silent, ever. Thank God. You know, I love it. I love Ever. it. So, because we live in this world, this shut up and saying you're an artist, you know, and I talk about that in the show too. I was like, I know y'all just want me to shut up and sing. Because <laughs> I'm not supposed to, because I'm not supposed to have no, um, <laughs> you know, no opinion about what, what's going on in the world. We're not supposed to have opinions about what's going on in the world. You know, no. Artists open up the brain and critical thinking. Y'all don't want us to think critically. You want us to be robots who just simply follow. That's why we cut the arts. Is it any surprise to any of us that they, they now want to do that, cut the humanities no. and the arts? And is anyone of surprised? Not. And people don't understand how that affects people's lives, that the arts teach creative thinking, which teaches people things like, oh, if you have a marketing job. They absolutely know what it does, and it's on purpose because they want full generations to have smaller minds and smaller access to their minds. They started cutting programs back in the 80s. The reason why people don't know that ACA and Obamacare is the same thing is because it's, the, the educations have been substandard for years on purpose. Well, didn't Trump say he loves the ignorant? Yeah, of course. <laughs> and that wasn't an accident he said that. No, none of it was an accident. And we all looked at him and thought, oh, this could never happen. Oh, this is not good. Yeah, it can happen. And black folks have been telling you that forever. <laughs> and I always say, well, now white people are mad. So now maybe something might happen <laughs> for years. We've been saying it for years. Black Lives Matter. We've been trying to say it. We've been trying to say it in a great, you know, and, you mo and we're mocked. All lives matter, you guys. Racism is over. Get over it. Slavery happened. Get over it. There is no institutional race, institutionalized racism in this country, and everybody starts on the same in the same place. Okay, <laughs> right there, you're right on it with that. It and they believe, you know, I think they believe that when they say that out loud, or they pretend to really hard. My, my oh, I'm just gonna call my mother up and ask her for a million dollars so I can start my business. A small loan, as he calls it, <laughs> a small loan. <laughs> Do you know where I can get a small loan like that, Dilly? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I got Tonys and Grammys hanging on my wall, but I can't get that. Crazy. It's just crazy. Preach. So who knows? I'm just trying to I'm just trying to contribute. How I contribute is through my art. How I contribute is through my work. That's how I contribute. You know, stories open people up. Music cracks people open in a way that's different. And I'm just going to keep trying to do that. You always have th something else in the works. We, we've talked about what's going on now. What's on the horizon for Billy Porter that you can talk about? I'm writing a play about our generation of gay men uh, that's in development at the public. I'm also writing a gospel musical with a contemporary gospel artist by the name of Kurt Carr. Um, people who know gospel music will know him very well. I am in negotiations to write another, to write the book for another big splashy Broadway musical, but I can't talk about it. Go, Billy. Awesome. That is fantastic. Oh, I should mention uh, other one other project that, that it, you were involved in recently. Our great friend Matt Zarley released his cover album, yeah. The Estrogen Sessions, and you, too, 
do a fantastic duet of Desiree's You Gotta Be, <laughs> message involved included. Yes. I loved yes, it. Yes. We love that song. <laughs> we love that song and we love that message. And once again, it's just about pumping the message of love out into the world as much as we can. Because we're going to have to do it. They're not doing it. I, I think someone once said to me, well, you know that Billy Porter, he's a do-it-yourself bitch. He's going to get it done. Because <laughs> you can't wait on some people <laughs> with love. No, you cannot. <laughs> no one cannot. <laughs> one last question. Any chance you might revisit the role of Lola ever at Kiki Boots? Yes. That's in the horizon too, but I can't really talk about it. I'll but, be yeah. back if it happens. Billy, thank you so much for it. <laughs> thank you for this time. You know, you just fill me up. I feel like I've, I've been back to the well and filled up again. Um, I, I love your passion. I love your talent. I always have. But, but it's that authenticity and that voice that you raise that just makes me feel so good every time I talk to you. Oh, thank you. Congratulations on the awesome record. Seriously. Thank you. And congratulations on the wedding, Sadie. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Much thanks to my guest today, the awesomely talented and always inspiring Mr. Billy Porter. Please go check out his new album, Billy Porter Presents the Soul of Richard Rogers, 
out at every digital download site you can think of. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I follow the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBT community. Thanks, everyone, for listening. See you next time.